If you're in any sort of relationship with another human being, whether it's romantic, whether it's platonic, whether it's a friendship or with family members, chances are you will encounter conflict. It's just a part of life. And every healthy and authentic community has conflict. No person, no community is immune from it. So if you hear a church saying, hey, yo, we're drama-free, no conflict at our church, run, because they are lying, okay? Every community, every relationship has the potential for conflict. And I think we tend to view conflict as a sign of um, something being wrong or people being immature. And while that may be the case, if like, okay, if conflict's happening all the time in your life, you are the X factor. There is something wrong. It may be because be because of immaturity, but we have to learn to accept conflict as a very normal part of human relationship. It's going to happen, and it happens more than we think. So what we're talking about today is just this basic idea that to be human is to have conflict. Conflict with coworkers, conflict with siblings, conflict with roommates, conflict with partners, with friends, with church members. Conflict is inevitable. But how we choose to resolve conflict, how we choose to approach conflict is ultimately up to us. And there are healthy ways to approach conflict and unhealthy ways. There are mature ways and immature ways. And those who learn how to resolve conflicts well actually strengthen the relationships that they're in in a way that aren't possible apart from it. Krista used to get so annoyed when we first got married because every time we got into a fight, I got so happy. And I got so happy because in my mind, I'm like, every argument, every fight, they're only going to make a stronger baby. And so every time we got in a fight, I would, in, like, I couldn't hide my smile. I'll be secretly, it's weird, right? Like, but I'll be so happy. We're getting in another fight. Oh, we're going to be so close after. And Krista used to bug the hell out of Krista. But I think it's true. Every conflict, we have an opportunity to either drive a further wedge in our relationships or draw us closer. There is no middle ground. And that's the power when we learn how to navigate conflicts well. Now, I find people in the church, Christians are just weird. We don't know how to navigate conflict well. We either gloss over it with scripture, right? Or we, we over-spiritualize it to the point where we dehumanize ourselves and our circumstances. But I believe that God's heart is to see people in unity, but not only in unity, but learning how to resolve conflict when that unity is disrupted. And so if we hope to be the kind of covenant community that God has called us to be, that ex- expresses the gospel well, we have to learn how to do conflicts well. Y'all with me? Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that The relationships we have with one another are just as important to him as the relationship that we have with him. So much so that he says, yo, don't even bring me your songs on Sunday. Don't even play the guitar. Don't bring me your tithes and your offering. You can still tithe to 99 Church, but don't bring it to me. Don't bring any gift or offering unless you have made it right with the person you are in conflict, with the person that you have enmity against. In other words, Jesus calls us to face our conflict and resolve our conflict well. And in our journey of formation, we have to learn 
how to be Christ-like in our conflicts. And so our goal today is very simple. Just going to give you some principles that will help us navigate the conflicts that we may experience in everyday life. So take a moment right now. I want you in your mind's eye. You don't have to close your eyes, but, but think of a conflict that you're in right now. It could be with a coworker, could be with a sibling, could be with a friend, with a significant other. Or if you're not in a conflict right now, think of a conflict that you've had recently, okay? And as we go through today's teaching, think about how some of these principles might be applied to those conflicts. So why don't we open with a word of prayer and we'll jump right into it. Holy Spirit, we, we really hurt each other. We mess up our relationships. We don't know how to communicate. We constantly drive wedges in between those that we love. But I thank you that you have called us to be peacemakers. You have called us to be those who don't ignore the reality of our conflicts, where we don't deny the real human experience of hurting one another, but you call us to face it head on. But you call us to face it in such a way where we bring healing in our relationships, where we are reconciled with one another. And so I pray that today you would give us wisdom and guidance as we navigate this very complex topic. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right off the bat, just want to throw a disclaimer out there. Um, I understand that conflicts are very complex. Conflicts are complex and very nuanced. And so these are, I'm not saying... um, there are some situations where you don't, you shouldn't resolve that conflict with that person. It's not healthy for you to remain in that relationship. And so I just want to throw that disclaimer out there. But today I'm hoping that some of these principles apply to some of the conflicts that we're in. So what is conflict? Two definitions that I found really helpful. The first is this. Conflict is a serious disagreement regarding a meaningful situation. So it's something meaningful, right? It's a disagreement and it means something to me. Your manager doesn't think you deserve that raise, but you do. Your housemate has a different idea about how rent should be divided, okay? Your husband wants to take a different approach to disciplining your child, right? These are disagreements and meaningful things. Another definition that I found helpful is conflict is a disagreement or action through which the parties involved perceive a threat to their interests, feelings, or concerns, right? It could be an action done against someone else. Your coworker dropped the ball on a project. So you had to work all weekend to make up the slack. Your friend flaked when you really needed them. A family member said something to you that really hurt. Sometimes it's an action that threatens our feelings or our concerns or our interests. Some of you might've learned this. If you did basic psychology and UC or anything, there are five styles of conflict resolution, right? The first one is competing, which is I win, and it's characterized by this beautiful baby shark. I don't know why I chose that one, but it just spoke to me, right? In this scenario, you approach a conflict and you have to win, even at the expense of the other person, right? It's my way or the highway. The second, accommodating style, I give in, characterized by a teddy bear, right? So cute. I'll give up my interest so that we could tend to your interests, right? That's the accommodating style. Third style, avoiding, I leave, I avoid conflict altogether. Type sevens and type nines unite, right? We want to avoid the pain of going through a conflict. And so we avoid it like a little turtle. Compromising, which is the fourth one. We meet halfway, characterized by the fox. 
What does the fox say? Oh my God, I'm old. We both give a little and we meet halfway. We meet in the middle. We both give up a little. And last one, collaborating, characterized by a wise owl. We work together to find a solution and we both win, right? There's these five styles. Now, oftentimes what people will teach you is that you, you attribute one of these styles to you. So I'm always like a teddy bear or I'm always a shark. And so we attribute one of these styles to a person. Like Mickey has an avoiding style. Zion has a competing style. My son, which he does right now, he has to win. But I think what's actually more helpful in understanding these styles of conflict management is understanding that we take on different styles in different situations. And it's okay. And sometimes we tend to use some styles more than others. The thing is, none of these styles are inherently bad. I know y'all already judging the competing style, but when would that be appropriate? Think you're going to a car dealership, okay? And you're trying to get the best price for the car. You don't want to be walking up in that dealership being accommodating, right? $50,000. That sounds great. I'll take it as it is. No, you go in there and you're trying to win. You're trying to compete. You're trying to get your price, the price that you have in mind. When you're negotiating your salary, you don't want to just give in. No, you want to win. You want to get what you're going after, right? Another time, maybe um, you're, you get in a fight with one of your good friends and you guys are getting so heated, right? You feel your blood boiling. You can't even think straight and you're at Boba Guy's right? This might be a, a good time to avoid that conflict until your emotions have calmed down and until you have thought through some of the things that you need to talk about in the conflict. There are appropriate situations for each of these styles. And we often have a hard time discerning what style to use in any given situation. I want you to think about your current conflict or the conflict that you had recently that we thought about earlier. What would be the appropriate style sitting here in the discernment and the wisdom and the peace of the Lord, what would be the appropriate style to implement in the current conflict that you're in? Right? These are things that we are called to think about. And so how do we do this? I want to just leave you with four principles today that you guys could take home to help us navigate all of these conflicts in life. Regardless of what style that you're using, these conflicts could be used across the board. And so the first thing I want to talk about is this. The difference between a learning conversation and a battle of messages. Ooh, that sounds fun, right? You guys watch um, Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, right? There's a battle, right? One person has a green lightsaber. The other person has a red lightsaber. And usually it's the other person that has the red lightsaber, right? You're the good guy in your story. Typically, our conflicts become this battle of messages. And the goal becomes, I got to deliver my message to the other person. And they got to get it. They got to receive it. That's the goal of this conversation. And so what we have is conversations where we're shooting messages at one another. But we're just completely missing each other. There is no middle ground. There is no understanding and no one wins. This might be, if you get anything from this teaching at all, this is it. One of the most important things we can do in approaching a conflict is shifting our stance from I understand to help me understand. Look to your neighbor and say, help me understand. Oftentimes we approach a conflict with our minds made up, don't we? Like we, we're so sure that I'm right. They're wrong. I have all the right facts. They don't. 
I'm justified. They're not. I understand the situation. They don't. I have the full picture. They only got a piece. Litigator Roger Fisher, he once said, I sometimes failed to persuade the court that I was right, but I never failed to persuade myself, right? We never fail to persuade ourselves that we're right in a conflict. Douglas Stone, who I gave that amazing resource, that book, you guys should all read it. It's so good. But he says this, remind yourself that if you think you already understand how someone feels or what they're trying to say, it's a delusion, Remember a time when you were sure you were right and then discovered one little fact that changed everything. There is always more to learn. I have this really, Krista and I have this really bad habit that when each of us lose something in our house, for some reason, the first place our mind goes is, Krista, did you move my laptop? Mickey, did you move the knife that was on the table? And we always assume for some reason that the other person is at fault. The other person, and we assume that we understand what's going on here. And more often than not, I realize, oh, actually I found it. It was under my bed. Or, oh, I'm sorry, I found it in my purse. And we realize, one little fact, we realized that we were completely wrong. But what this requires is a mindset of curiosity, In other words, the only way to understand the other person's story is by being curious. Instead of asking, how can they think that? What's wrong with them? How can they be thinking that about me, about the situation? Ask, I wonder what information they have that I don't, right? Instead of asking, how can Dan be so irrational about this subject? Maybe I could ask, how might Dan see the world in such a way where his view makes sense? By the way, Dan and I will never get in a fight because he's a type nine. I'm a type seven, and we just live in a land of positivity and bubbles. In other words, certainty locks us out of the other person's story, but curiosity is what lets us in. Certainty locks me out of John's story. Certainty locks me out of Kevin's story. Certainty locks me out of Emily's story. But when I'm curious, all of a sudden I can enter into someone else's story. See, hear me, church, listening is only powerful and effective if, if, if we're able to do it authentically. Authenticity means you're listening because you're genuinely curious and because you actually really care. You know, you ever have a conversation with someone and they're listening, but you know they're just listening so they could think of a really good rebuttal to negate all of your points, right? They're listening for a purpose to tear you down. Do you notice that people are really scary when they're in an argument? Like for some reason, when you're in a fight, you're laser focused. You are, you could have the worst memory in the world, but you remember every single detail of the fight. You could think of the like, arranged words that just tear down another person, right? We, we go into this fight mode when we're in arguments, when we're in disagreement, when we're in conflict. But what we have to do is adopt a, a mindset, a posture of curiosity saying, I genuinely want to know your stance. I genuinely want to know your point of view. I genuinely care to understand where you're coming from. And so we have to learn how to engage in learning conversations, not a battle of messages fueled by authentic curiosity and care, right? That's the first point, learning conversations versus a battle of messages. Second point, discover the third story. Douglas Stone, he writes, difficult conversations are almost never about getting the facts right. They're about conflicting perceptions, interpretations, and values. 
trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong is almost always a dead end. Why? Because we all know relationships are very, not quite black and white. They're complex and nuanced. And so we have to accept this paradox that both of us can be right and both of us can be wrong. We just see and interpret things very differently. My cousin loves action movies. And so when we go to see a movie, like they, they love to watch Fast and Furious. And I'm more of like an A24 guy, like the indie horror psychological thriller guy, right? Where I actually have to use my head. But we'll go to watch like Fast and Furious movies. Just kidding, guys. I don't, if you like action movies, it's okay. But we'll go watch Fast and Furious. And it's interesting because after the movie, we'll both notice different things about the film. My friend will be like, oh my God. The action was so cool. The CGI was amazing. Did you see them hop over the cliff on the car and catch a cable midway and swing across to the other side? And I'm thinking, family, family. And I'm like trying to get the meaning and they're just enjoying the action. We watched the exact same thing, but we took two very different interpretations. Are either of us right or wrong? We're both right. And in some ways, we're both wrong, right? We, we both have this understanding, this perspective that differs from one another. We often go through a conversation or even through a whole relationship without realizing that each of us pay attention to different things, right? And so in a conflict, oh my God, you really pay attention to the words, the meaning of the words that I'm using. I pay attention, oh my God, you are frowning while you're apologizing. You don't really mean it. Where is the tear in your eye? Right? We notice different things, different things we pay attention to in our relationships, in our conflicts, and that our views are based on different information. We all see the world differently. And so all that to say, it helps to start with what we're going to call the third story. What's the third story? Well, the first story is my story. It's my perspective. It's my version of events. The second story is your story. It's your version of events. So this is usually how we begin our conflicts, right? I come in guns blazing with my story, and then you clap back at me at another level with your story. It's the first story and the second story constantly competing, but this starts the conversation with us already at odds, right? It's me versus you. But what if we started with a third story. What is the third story? The third story is what an impartial third-party observer would describe as three things. The common interests, what the parties agree upon, and a summary of the differences. Now, this, hear me, church, this is not a story about me and my wife, Krista, okay? This never really happened, okay? But let's say, let's say, Let's say it's 11 p.m. at night. Earlier that day, my wife asked me, hey, Mickey, can you do the dishes sometime today? And I said, as a good, loving husband, yes, beautiful wife, I will do the dishes for you as my sign of undying love for you. I will do it today. 11 p.m. hits. Krista bursts through the door, and she said, Mickey, you said you were going to do the dishes And I have to cook in the kitchen, and so I had no room, so I had to do the dishes for you, even though you said you would do it. Now, I'm clapping back with my story. Hey, there's still an hour left in the day. 
I said I would do the dishes today, and I was planning to do it the last thing I do before I go to sleep, right? Because men just do that for some reason. We procrastinate. And she says, but don't you understand that I couldn't get anything I needed to cook, so I needed to do the dishes earlier. I said, well, you should have communicated that, right? We're going back and forth with our stories. What would the third story in our situation look like, right? What's the common interest? Hey, I know we both love each other. We both really want to make this relationship work, and we both care about getting things done in our household. We care about keeping it clean. We care about cooking. These are common interests. What do the parties agree upon? I agree to do the dishes today. We both agree on that, right? You said you would do the dishes. I said I would do the dishes today. What are the differences? Differences, I thought that I could do the dishes at the end of the day because I was planning on doing everything else before that. You thought that I was going to do the dishes earlier so you can actually cook for tomorrow and get stuff done, right? If we start with the third story, it doesn't mean we're going to navigate our conflict perfectly well, but at least we start on common ground. At least we start not at odds against one another. We create safety. We create an atmosphere where we can actually resolve our issues beginning with the third story. Second principle, the third story. Third principle, Reflecting back, people almost never change without first feeling understood. Have you ever been in a conflict or a fight and it feels like you guys are going in circles and it's like, you said that five times and I have to, do I have to repeat myself? I said that 10 times already. Why do we do that? Why do we go in circles? Why do we keep repeating our points? It's because we often repeat ourselves when we don't feel fully understood. And so we have to keep reiterating the fact because we feel and we don't trust that the other person actually gets it. We don't believe that they actually understand us. But one helpful way to help someone feel understood is by paraphrasing back to them what they understood them to say without judgment, right? It sounds like what you're saying is that you felt belittled when I said that phrase, my understanding is that when you're trying your, you are trying your best despite the constraints that you were under. So you're saying that you're frustrated because I said I would do the dishes, but you needed the kitchen clear so that you can cook for tomorrow. It's paraphrasing back what we understand the other person to say. And then afterwards, following it up with, did I understand that correctly? For me and my wife, we actually have to go back and forth like six different times. Like, I'll paraphrase back to her. This is what I understand you said. She'll say, that's not quite it. Let me, let me give a little more context to that. Okay, let me paraphrase back. So you're saying this, right? And so we, we, we try to create clarity for one another, try to un, uh, create understanding so that we could feel fully understood so that we can continue and be progressive in our conversation, in our conflict. So many conflicts would be de-escalated if we would take the time to show one another that we truly understand. I'll never do this with you guys, but in my premarital counseling with Krista, uh, my pastors at the time actually gave us like a conversation sheet and we had to follow it like word for word in our conflicts. So like in the middle of our fight, like we're like ready to go at each other. Like, oh, wait, 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 we got to pull out the paper. And so we literally pulled out the paper and this is how we had to do it. Like Krista would say, I'm feeling upset that you didn't do the dishes. And then I would have to pause her and say, so you're telling me you feel upset 
when I didn't do the dishes. And it sounds ridiculous, right? But the crazy thing is we felt so understood and we navigated through the conflict so well. We don't use that piece of paper anymore because it feels really weird. But the idea of paraphrasing back to one another so that we can have complete understanding, so that I can feel, I can trust Iris, you really understand where I'm coming from. Like, Paulette, you understand what I'm feeling. What I'm communicating is not going through your head. You actually understand what I'm saying. Now, hear me, church. This doesn't mean that you agree. It doesn't mean you agree with what the other person is saying. doesn't mean you agree with their feelings or their viewpoint. It simply conveys to the other person that you are attempting to understand where they're coming from. Now, one thing to keep in mind here is to be mindful of how you're communicating with one another, right? I know, um, I have some friends that when they get in conflicts, they get real heated. Krista and I are more the slow burn, but these guys are the type that go like explosive right off the bat. And, um, and when they get in their fights, like when they're paraphrasing back to one another, they're doing it like in a sarcastic mocking way. Oh, so you're saying that you, right? You're saying that you, and when we do that, when we don't control our tone, our facial expressions, our body language, even if we paraphrase back, it doesn't mean a thing, right? They say that, The three big blind spots of communication are tone of voice, facial expressions, and body language. In other words, those are blind spots that all of us have when we're in a conflict with someone. And so be intentional about your body language. Be intentional about these blind spots. So reflecting back, the last principle, really simple, intent versus impact. Intent versus impact. Hear me, church. Intentions are always invisible. Intentions are always invisible, yet we always attribute them to others. We're so sure you intended to hurt me. We're so confident that you have had bad intentions for me in doing this. Douglas Stone, he writes, our invented stories about other people's intentions are accurate much less often than we think. Why? Because people's intentions, like so much else in difficult conversations, are complex. People act with mixed intentions. Sometimes they act with no intention or at least none related to us. And sometimes they act on good intentions that nonetheless hurt us. Have you guys heard of a fundamental attribution error? Right? Here's an example. We assume the worst about others, but give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We assume the best about our intentions. And so when I cut into 6th Avenue exit on 280, getting to Potrero Hill, to the Soma. When I cut into that traffic, it's because, oh, shoot, I missed, I missed the, the back of the line. And so uh, this is just once. I messed up, right? It's okay. But when the person in front of me cuts into 6th Avenue exit on 280, oh, my God, they need to get their license revoked. What are they doing? They are such a-holes. Why? How could they do that? They're so inconsiderate. Right? We believe the best about our intentions. We assume the worst about each other's intentions. And so what we have to learn how to do is separate intent from impact. And so when I approach a conflict, my posture is this. I am the expert on impact. I know exactly how I've been hurt, how I've been feel, how your words are hitting me, how your actions have affected me. I'm the expert on impact but I'm going to say that you're the expert on intent, right? What you intended, despite what the impact is, I'm going to believe that you're the expert and I got to take your word. I didn't mean to say those words to you. I didn't mean to hurt you in that way. You're the expert on intent. I'm the expert on impact. 
in our conflicts, we have to learn to give people permission to fill in the blanks for their intention. We have to come with the blank slate saying, I don't know what you intended. I can tell you this hurt me, but I don't know what the intention was. So can you please fill me in? This doesn't mean that we absolve them of the consequences of what they did. It simply means I want to understand why. What was the intent? And do you know the impact it's had on me? Right? So learning conversations versus the battle of messages. Discovering the third story. Reflecting back intent versus impact. These are some helpful principles in helping us learning to um, what we call enter into learning conversations that maximize the chances of resolving conflict well. Hear me, church, how we choose to deal with conflict transforms us. It's part of our journey of formation as followers of Jesus that every conflict is an opportunity for us to either grow in faith, grow in Christ-like maturity, or grow in immaturity for good or for worse. I want to wrap up with this. Um, I, I think it was about two years ago. I hope I don't offend someone. Don't leave our church, okay? But my favorite definition of sin that I've come across by far, sin is the human propensity to F things up, right? It's just, it's, it's the human propensity that if, it's just, I will find a way to F things up. I'll find a way to F up my life. I'll find a way to F up this relationship. It's just the reality of my sin nature, right? We make a mess of things. We blow up our relationships. We self-destruct. We hurt each other. And one of the most powerful things we can do in the face of the messes that we've made in our relationships is stay. Stay and fix the messes we made. Stay and make things right. Stay and work through our conflicts. Stay and fight. Now hear me, church. I'm not saying you should stay in every relationship. There are relationships you have no business staying in. Situations where you're in danger, situations where your dignity's on the line or you're being harmed or that's toxic for your soul. But, but what I was saying is more cases than not, especially in the context of covenant community, a lot of us flee or a lot of us fight instead of facing, staying and facing the conflicts that we come across in our relationship. In Matthew 18, 21 through 22, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And that's a lot, right? Seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. What are you saying? Stay with it. Stick with it. In the midst of your conflict, stick with it. Learn how to navigate through it together. Exhaust all possibilities until you have to walk away. And you know, sometimes that's okay. I've learned in this book, reconciliation has varying degrees, right? Sometimes reconciliation can be just a simple act of forgiveness and we never interact again. Sometimes reconciliation looks like we could be best buds again. There are varying degrees. All of them are okay. But the, but the thing is this. Will we continue to stay and lean into our conflicts instead of avoiding them or running from them or glossing over them? And I believe one of the things, one of the ways we could demonstrate to the world the power of the gospel is simply the act of learning how to deal with our conflicts well within our communities. People are going to come into our house. I know some of y'all knew. And maybe we seem really great and, you know, we're all like really tight and buddy-buddy. Man, there have been some conflicts at this church, okay? I have hurt some people. Y'all have hurt some people. We've, that's just the messiness of human relationship. 
But what I guarantee what is going to be the appealing factor is not that there is an absence of conflict, but how does this community learn how to lean into that conflict and navigate through it together well? So I want to close with this. Why don't we close our eyes and I want to invite you into a time of response. I want you to think about that conflict that we started with at the beginning of service. Maybe you're in a conflict right now. Maybe it was a conflict that you were in, that you resolved or semi-resolved. I want you to think about how some of these principles could be applied to some of the things you're going through. I believe for every mess that we've made, for every way that we've hurt one another, for every way that we've been wounded, the cross speaks a better word. And the blood of Jesus covers over every iniquity that we've brought to ourselves and brought to our relationships. How is God calling you to navigate through your conflict in this season? What are some things he's moving you to do? What are some things that he's giving you clarity on what to say? I believe the heart of the gospel is not that we've just been reconciled back to God, but the gospel tells us that we've also been reconciled back to one another. And so God, right now I speak over all of these conflicts that we're carrying in our lives. And the first thing, I pray that you would remove any shame or guilt. I pray that we would see it's just a normal part of human relationship and messiness. But secondly, give us a heart Give us clarity and a strategy to approach these conflicts well. To do it in such a way where we're not perpetuating the pain and the wounds, but that we're, we're finding the thread of your spirit in the midst of the disagreements that we have. To find the thread of your spirit in the midst of what we're going through, what we're experiencing. So God, would you speak to your children right now? I also feel there's a handful of us today that, that are carrying, that have been carrying resentment and bitterness. And I just hear the Holy Spirit saying, now is the time. Now is the season for you to let go. For you to truly forgive. You've been holding on to this thing. And it's actually only been harming you. Would you let it go? Would you open up your hands? Would you surrender it to me? Doesn't mean that you have to rekindle that relationship, but but for your sake, for the sake of your soul, would you forgive? Right now, if that's you, I want you to lean into that. God, I know this is a really complex, nuanced topic, but I pray that some, there's something today that would have spoken to your people. I pray that we would carry these truths, even though some of them aren't even entirely biblical. I pray that we would carry some of these principles into our relationships, that we would be the kind of people that are reconciled to one another, that know how to approach conflict well. Let that be our testimony in the world. Let that be our witness of the gospel. We love you. We thank you for meeting with us here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.